Hi, everyone. My name is Sumble Siddiqui. And I'm Alana Mallon, and we are two new Cambridge City Councilors, and this is our podcast, Women Are Here. Hello. Hey. Hi. How are you? Good. This week, we have a very special guest star, Congresswoman Katherine Clark. We're so honored and thrilled that you've joined us today. Welcome. Oh, thank you. I am so glad to be here. We're just so glad you're here. I know. This is such a, I'm fangirling out. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. We're going to have to get over it because we're going to have know. questions to ask. We have questions. Okay. Okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll start with some important questions for you. So... As our five listeners know, just kidding. We always joke about our listeners. As our listeners know, the both of us really love TV and talk about TV all the time and our favorite shows. Right now, I'm very much into Insecure. Me too. Twins. Did uh, you watch Sundays? I haven't yet. God, you got to get caught up. It was really, they, went, they go to Coachella. That's great. I heard it was really <laughs> good. The whole thing was so good. Okay, I'll watch it. So, uh, you know, Congresswoman, we do have this really important question. Do you have a favorite TV show? Uh, I have many, so it is hard to choose thinking about coming here today. One of my very favorite is Veep. Oh, yes. So that one, you know, it may be a little close to home sometimes. (laughs) Sometimes I worry when my staff really also find Veep. Very, yes. very funny. When you're like asking for your lipstick and they're like all smirking. Like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there's some concerns about it. But right now I am uh, watching a lot of Better Call Saul. So oh. going backwards. I had missed it, wasn't into it, um, but friends recommended it and it's good. I'll have to check it out. That. What is it about? It's sort of the uh, precursor to Breaking Bad. Oh, did you watch that? It's the prequel. It was a little dark for me. Mm. Mm. You love dark. It's so good. It's like dark. It's so good. Dark and sad. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. All right. I'll check it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm going to take your recommendation. Well, we are thrilled that you're here with us today. But now let's go on to some equally important conversations. The midterms are coming up and on everyone's minds, especially here in Cambridge, and the hope that we can flip the house. So can you tell us a little bit about the DCCC program called Red to Blue that you're the chair of? And and just let our listeners know a little bit about what's going on there. Absolutely. Uh, Red to Blue is sort of what it sounds like, but it is the program that came out of recruiting that I've been working on uh, since 2016. And now that all the primaries are completed, we're uh, focused on those candidates who are in red seats, um, who we hope will flip them to blue seats, uh, hence the name Red to Blue. Blue. And we have incredible candidates. It has been such a privilege to be able to work with and talk with and act as a mentor and help fundraise and really with a whole host of things. I get calls from candidates with really important issues around how do they raise money, um, staffing issues, Mm -hmm. issues with the press that come up to you know, the very mundane, uh, you know, I'm just not sure I can do this. Right. Am I doing this well as a mom um, and acting more as a therapist sometimes and sounding bored uh, just because even as you both know, uh, when you're running for office, you're surrounded by people, but sometimes it can be isolating. We talk about that all the time about how running is so isolating and no one really quite understands what you're going through. Everyone and everyone's so excited for you. That no one really stops to say, like, are you okay? Are you okay? <laughs> right. And sometimes that that's all it is. Yeah. Just, you know, reaching out and having a exactly. voice of someone who knows exactly uh, what you're going through. Yeah. And so how many people, how many people are in the red to blue? 
So we have greatly expanded both what we call the battlefield, which are districts that we're looking at, uh, and the red to blue list. So currently it is about 83, but we're continuing. We'll add a couple more this Thursday as well. Oh, great. And I I read somewhere that 50% of them are women. 50% are women. Wow. Okay. That's amazing. um, You know, we are... I am frequently asked, what are the trends for women candidates? And the trend is they're winning. Um, oh, we are just- I like that trend. <laughs> Let's hope it keeps trending. Yeah. And we're just seeing that women are are winning their primaries and are really holding their own in some very tough districts. And I think part of that is because voters this year seem to be looking for authenticity. Yeah. And someone who's coming from outside of Washington and often women are perceived as not being part of a political system. In some ways, we're still the consummate political outsiders. And so women candidates are connecting with their uh, voters in their districts, and they're not so worried about a national message, but what is really on the table for families where they're running. And they are doing a great job of making that connection. And their resumes are so Oh, my God. So yeah. We met impressive. some of them. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I was, I was listening to a podcast that um, Mayor Driscoll, uh, Kim Driscoll up in Salem was recording. And she was saying when she was running, you know, back when she first started, um, she really – the norm was you didn't talk about being a woman and women's That's issues. Right. It was – you were just hoping that people would just – vote for you on your merit and that now the shift seems to be really talking about being being a woman and and being vulnerable and talking about things that matter to you and how that connects you to voters in a way that um, I think women were really afraid to do before. I think we were. I think we were told by consultants and sort of local leaders who'd done a lot of races when we were all first running that don't talk about your children, you know, talk about your professional experience and your record and how you can highlight that. And I think that some of the most compelling connections that we've seen women being able to make are talking about why they're running. And that often comes from very personal reasons, you know, whether it's Betsy Dirksen Londrigan in Illinois talking about her son who had a tick bite that just caused this um, grave medical crisis for him. And that when she was sitting at his bedside in the ICU, she said, it never crossed my mind who was going to pay for that ventilator. But when the congressman in my district voted to take away health care for millions of people, I knew that that luxury wasn't one that he was going to protect and that it shouldn't be a luxury. Our health care should be uh, a right of every family. And so using those personal experiences, Alyssa Slotkin in Michigan has a great ad right now talking about her mom who had breast cancer and ended up losing um, her health care coverage and sort of everything and she eventually uh, she survived that initial cancer only to um, to lose her life to a second round of cancer. And Alyssa just talks about pre-existing conditions and the right to health care in a very, very personal and compelling way. 
that I think is really transcending sort of all those old rules about what we do in ads and sort of keep your personal life over here because people don't really want to hear about women's personal stories. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's a wonderful trend that that's changing. Well, I'm excited about that. Yeah, I think it's just great that we have nurses, that we have, you know, veterans, we have teachers, we have people from all different, women from all different backgrounds running. It's so, it's so important to have that diversity. Um, I think both of us, when we were running, faced, uh, you know, several obstacles. And namely, the one that was thrown at us was fundraising. You have to raise money. You know, there are these typical mechanisms. And, you know, it's a lot of who you know, and how do you access that? And so could you speak to a little bit about the fundraising piece and, you know, this this idea that it is so hard to raise money as a woman? Yeah, I think that traditionally we haven't had the same networks. Right. Uh, you know, I know until I ran for office, it never occurred to my mom to write a check. And, right, right. And, and then she saw how important it was that nobody else is going to pay for those signs, um, be able to put out ads, um, do the things that you need to do to win. And once she started writing even small checks, she really couldn't stop. <laughs> and she got all the Emily's List candidates and tried to help them out. But I think it is traditionally something that we haven't seen women engaged in. And it's difficult to fundraise, but we are also seeing um, top numbers not only of women running, but of women donors. So women donors in this cycle make up about 34% of all donors, That's which great. Um, is, is that much higher than usual? It's it's a jump from about 28%. Wow. So okay. a significant increase. And I think that those numbers, as we see groups like we have in our area called Invest to Elect, which are women coming together to pool their resources mm. and make sure that women candidates have their own uh, new girl network right. that I they can go new to. New girl network. <laughs> Need that. Um, <laughs> you know, I think it's going to be um, one of the lasting uh, paradigm shifts that comes out of this election. And I I read somewhere that you started a political action committee, a PAC, called Electing Women. <laughs> yes, it's a very catchy title, but oh, we no, want to be Elect, elect Democratic, Democratic Women. women. Oh, not just not Elect just Democratic <laughs> Women. That's right. And, um, and that comes out of a, a group of us, seven uh, sitting members of Congress. We decided that we, too, wanted to have our ability to... Um, be able to support women and make sure that we keep a house uh, representatives um, moving in the right direction. Uh, you know, we're still stuck at 19% women, mm. and we know that we're well over 50% of the voters in house races. And so we're hoping that we can put this pack together to be able to support women candidates and incumbents who are running for reelection. Yeah, that 19% number is very uh, sobering. I actually, speaking of TV, I saw Amy Klobuchar, um, the senator from um, Minnesota, on The Daily Show, which was one of my favorites with Trevor Noah. Yeah. Don't. He's mine. He's mine. Okay. (laughs) I already have him on my list. Um, But he was reading a statistic from her recent book that throughout history, over 2,000 men have served in the Senate. And only 50 women have served, and 23 of them are serving right now. So those are stark numbers. That's 2.5% of ever. Mm -hmm. Um, And as you said, 19% of members currently serving on Capitol Hill are women. We on the Cambridge City Council have about parity. And um, I can't imagine 
what it would be like being part of a body where only 20% were women. Can you tell us a little bit about how that manifests on Capitol Hill and what that feels like? You know, it's from everything. It is from having an agenda that is often under this current House leadership, uh, really aiming to restrict women, to take away decisions from them. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think part of the issue, that 19%, at least in the House, is heavily uh, Democratic. If you look at the Republican side, they have very few women. Mm -hmm. Very few people of color. Very few people of color, and um, only one woman in their top leadership. Mm -hmm. And I think it shows in the priorities that they set and who the chairman of committees are and who are making the decisions for Americans and for American women. And so I am hopeful that we can not only change the the overall numbers, but if we are able to win the majority, start to be able to put our issues back into priority. And, you know, I think that women's issues are broad and have a lot to do with the economic underpinnings and making sure that women are included in that equally. And that, you know, it goes back to some of our fundamentals, uh, passing an equal pay bill, right. um, making sure that we're addressing the high costs of child care, right. um, you know, two ones that people think of as more traditionally um, about women, which are, you know, education and access to education. How do we have uh, early education for every kid so we can start combating poverty and make sure they have an equal footing when they start school. So those are the issues that I think um, often just get pushed to the side or there is an active agenda that really does hurt women in this current House leadership. Absolutely. Yeah, and going back to the economic underpinnings, one of the things that you didn't mention but I've been thinking about is the FMLA, the Family Medical Leave Act, which um, was put into place 50 years ago and allows people, usually women, to take off time after the birth of a child or if they need to care for a family member, which, you know, generally falls on to the shoulders of women, not always. Um, And that time is unpaid and the law hasn't been touched since it was passed 50 years ago. And I think about that. And I... I think if there had been more women in Congress over the last 50 years, That's someone right. would have been saying, hey, wait a minute, this is a good law, but it needs to be updated to provide some pro- financial protections for a program that affects mostly women. And I, you know, it just goes back to that representation matters. Yeah. And I, I think that is an experience that so many of us have. Uh, just before I came to this podcast, I was visiting my mom, who's in late stages of Alzheimer's, and I do have primary responsibility for her as her daughter. Um, mm-hmm, right. It's just the dynamics of my own family. Of and, a lot of families. And, you know, I think that we in this current house have been so busy playing defense, um, yeah. really, as there is a concerted effort to uh, restrict women's rights and decisions and freedoms, uh, that I look forward to the opportunity to be able to say, let's look at some of these laws that are, are good. We're glad they're there. We're glad the FMLA is there. But we need to have changes, and we need to 
be looking at how women are making their way economically and what changes do we need to do to support them in that as we move into sort of a gig economy with Mm -hmm. lots of different ways. How are you going to get health insurance? How are you going to have a retirement? Um, And how are we going to protect programs like Social Security, uh, Medicare, Medicaid, that so many women, especially head of households, really depend on? Yeah. Well, I look forward to playing offense versus defense. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> I think, you know, it's just really important as women, as policymakers, be, to be sitting around the table um, to deal with these issues. As you've said, we hear this statement all the time, you know, if you aren't at the table, you are likely on the menu. Um, and I, I think about that a lot and about how legislation that does protect women uh, usually just does come from female legislators, um, something that all over the news this week is Dr. Christine Blasey Ford, who has stepped forward and accused Supreme Court Justice nominee Brett Kavanaugh of assaulting her as a teenager. Um, And, you know, she's had to go into hiding over death threats. Uh, And you've sponsored some legislation that would address the issue of online harassment in particular about threats with the Online Safety Modernization Act of 2017. Could you talk a little about this bill and how it relates to this particular issue? Uh, sure, and and thank you for raising this because the minute I heard of these allegations coming out, what knowing nothing really about them, I thought, boy, is she and for in it. for it, right? Yep. And to have that sort of sinking feeling, um, I, I think it's hard to explain unless you've been through it. Uh, what it is like to have that jump out of online, which can be 24-7, can really lead to, even if it never jumps into the physical world, uh, can really lead to such a sense of insecurity, of not being safe, of anxiety for people who are the victims of severe online harassment. And, um, you know, 20% of people online are going to suffer harassment. um, And women uh, people of color, LGBTQ community really suffer at much higher rates uh, than other people do online. And this bill came out of experience of a constituent of mine in Gamergate. She was a video game developer and had to leave her house, uh, you know, her address, her husband's name, where he worked, his schedule, were all put online as a way to getting her to back down and, you know, not make her living making video games, which was her dream and her business. Um, And we've seen this time and time again. And unfortunately, that's what we saw um, happen this week with Dr. Ford. Uh, her address and phone number were put out, and people were told to go and protest at her home. She has had to relocate. She's had death threats. And it is Awful. Uh, really, however you may feel about the confirmation hearings, whatever your political ideology, we should be able to agree that people have a certain right to privacy. And this bill is really trying to make some new rules of the road and to update our criminal code to reflect crimes that we are seeing coming out of um, everybody being online. And it's time that we update it. And being anonymous and feeling free to do whatever and say whatever they want. That's right. And not having uh, 
consequences for right, that. repercussions. So, uh, you know, for me, it really came down to a swatting incident. I didn't even know what swatting was until we drafted this bill where there's a false call made to a police station, usually saying that there's an active shooter um, at an address. And the point is to get an armed response for police, from police. Uh, and that's why it's called swatting, to get the SWAT team to appear and hopefully injure or certainly uh, terrify the victim. And that happened to me while I was watching Veep. So it's come oh, full yeah, circle wow. in our yeah. conversation. But I remember reading about that on the news. It's the first time I had heard about swatting either. Yeah, but all these um, tactics uh, need to have consequences. Right. And we need to be able to... Uh, be able to judge the severity of what happens and have consequences that build with that and be very mindful about First Amendment too. So it is not easy, but these, what this bill, the actions this bill is aimed at are not about coarse language or disagreement. Um, it is about specific acts of threats of violence and acts such as doxing, which is releasing your personal information um, online and the, and calling for violence to follow. So these are very serious crimes that are happening. And it's, I think, uh, unfortunately, after the death in Wichita um, of a man who was swatted and the police did shoot and kill him, mm. Uh, you know, there might be some traction. There might be some traction for it's this. It's unfortunate film. that it had to take someone exactly. actually being yeah killed killed and to do that. You know, we do want people. We want all voices to be able to speak freely on the internet, and we may not agree with them all, but using um, these sort of real threats of violence and sometimes jumping off the internet to violence in real life. Um, is is very disturbing, and I think we need to look at our criminal statutes and say, how can we update these, and how can we make keep the internet really open to all voices? Well, I thank you for taking on that issue. Yeah, thank you for your work on this. Um, I think there had been some. We had, uh, you know, in the MA seven in the the congressional race, there was some talk about well. These two candidates, Mike Capuano and Ayanna Presley, are they're going to vote the same? So there's no difference. Why you know vote for one versus the other? And I think sometimes, for me, it was um, Ayanna Presley and and you as a woman are going to be bringing in different things based on your lens and based on being a woman and having different experiences. And I think that's important. I think it's important to um, have those voices at the table, as you were saying earlier. You don't want to be on the menu. Uh, so thank you for that work, and I appreciate that very much. Um, so the midterms, back to the midterms. Yeah, back so the midterms. what can we do? <laughs> what can we do? Um, I know here in Massachusetts we all the time are like, well, we have our delegation, and it's, you know, they're doing what we what we want, and we're very proud of them, and we're very happy that they're supporting us and representing us. But are there things that we could be doing um, to help your red-to-blue candidates here in Massachusetts? Tell our listeners all that we oh, can do. Them. Yes, yeah, they can do. <laughs> well, excellent. There, there's lots that people can do. And as I go around our district, as I go around Cambridge, um, and as I travel around the country, um, there is incredible energy for change. And to make the House in November 
the backstop uh, and to be uh, a House of Representatives that will no longer be on the the mute button, but will actually be speaking out against this administration when they're wrong and putting forward an agenda around access to health care, rebuilding America through infrastructure, and helping clean up our, our politics through uh, expanding voting rights and making sure that we are doing everything we can to have the money in politics be transparent and accountable. Um, and there's so much energy, but sometimes people just don't know what to do. Right, right. And it just feels <laughs> overwhelming on where to plug in. Like where do we put all of our, yes, where do we plug in? So I recommend a good place to start is um, the, the Red to Blue list, which you can find online very easily. And that's we a can tweet it out too. great yep. place to look for candidates that are in crucial races uh, to win the majority. And there are some that are very close. I know that we're going to be organizing a trip up to uh, Maine 2nd District to help Jerry Golden, who's running against a incumbent Republican and we think has a great shot. We're going to be helping out up in New Hampshire. Uh, with Chris Pappas, who's running for an open seat that we would like to hold as a blue seat. And Antonio Delgado is just over the Massachusetts um, border uh, into New York State, but it's not too far a drive. And he's in a, a really uh, a great race. He's a great candidate who has a, uh, you know, one of the top chances in the country to flip a seat. But anywhere that you can um, make phone calls from anywhere, from mm-hmm. your home. Yep. Everybody has that technology now, campaigns, and, you know, we can help connect people if they need it. Um, you can um, always checks. give money, um, <laughs> no matter how small or how large. Uh, you know, the one thing we know is that campaigns our Democratic money. candidates are going to be outspent. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. The Republicans just will have more money. We know that. And so anything people can do, it really does make a difference, um, especially in these final days. And if you can get to, um, you know, one of these New England campaigns or, you know, if you I know some people are planning to take some vacation time and go work for a candidate. The, that door knocking, that neighbor to neighbor connection Essential. is just critical. Yeah. Definitely, 100%. So, well, thank you for providing all that. We'll tweet out the red to blue information. Can I just share a quick story with you? Of course. Personal, speaking of personal stories, um, I was just thinking when we were kind of thinking about what to talk about here and, and reading about your mentorship and, and how you're helping these women, I just wanted to share that when I decided to run, um, it was the beginning of January last year, and I saw you several weeks later at a at an MLK event at City Hall. And um, you came over to me and you said, I'm so glad that you're running, that we need people like you on the Cambridge City Council. And we need to be building a bench team. And I don't think that you know how much that meant to me in that moment where I was feeling like, I can't believe I've jumped off the cliff and done this thing that I never thought it was going to do. Um, but I thought I thought about that so many times over the campaign. Um, so I just wanted to say thank you for Aww. helping. But I know that you're helping so many of these other candidates and women by being that mentor and by being that friendly face and that friendly voice. And um, I just wanted to say thank you. 
Oh, well, that's lovely. And <laughs> I'm just uh, so glad that both of you ran and that I'm glad I said that to you at the time you maybe <laughs> need to hear it. But, you know, I've always been impressed by the work you did where you saw a need and said, we have hungry kids in Cambridge and we have food that goes to waste. And how are we going to put this together and make sure that kids have a way to eat over the weekend when they don't get school lunches? And I just thought that's exactly who needs to be running. Well, and all it sounds like all of these women are exactly who needs to be oh, running. Yeah. They are incredible. They just have incredible uh, resumes that they do make you feel like you haven't really done much in your life, but I we'll know, take I, it. <laughs> we were talking about that. We're like, we can't run for can't Congress. Can't run for Congress. <laughs> <laughs> Someday, maybe. Yeah. But, you know, I think, um, like both of you, they just bring that commitment to their communities and to making sure that those voices are heard in Congress. And it's really this point in history uh, that's been our our best recruiter um, and people sort of saying somebody's got to do it and looking around and saying, I guess it's going to be me. Yeah. And, you know, anything that I can do to help these women um, be successful, just give them a little at a girl and uh, and some and some advice and open some connections and networks for them it's is critical. really um, very important. It's and it's so rewarding. Well, thank you for doing that. I look forward to November. I think it's there's the, some energy that I think is going to carry us. I'm I'm very hopeful. Yeah, yeah we're lucky to have you too. Yeah. So we're really uh, yeah you you're it's really inspiring. I'm like such a it's like. I've met you on one or two occasions, but I and knew about you, and so it, for so long, um, you know, you you look at these political figures, and you you're like, oh my god, who are they? They're just so awesome, and to get to talk to you and meet you, and just all the work that you're doing, yeah, you know, just all I can say is thank you. So, oh, so well, thank, thank you for coming. You. Yeah, Women thanks so here. much. <laughs> Women are here. Women are here. Yeah. Well, thank you for being here. We're really grateful. Yeah. Thank you. So we're back to municipal issues. Uh, we're, we were back at work today. Not today. Well, every day. <laughs> <laughs> on Monday night uh, with our first city council meeting on uh, this past Monday after a long hiatus. Uh, it was pretty long and uh, we didn't even get to everything. All the policy orders were uh, moved onto next Monday night's agenda. So we really don't have much to report on. Uh, but... There will be lots to talk about next week. I know. I was I was so bummed when everything got moved on to next week because I'm like, they don't just go away. I know. I want to we talk gotta, about them next it's week. It's going to even be a longer night. <sighs> anyway. Anyway. So after I have something to report. Yeah. The Mayor's Arts Task Force has finally been named and announced yesterday. So I'm chairing that. And I'm so excited to get work started on this work. So. We had over 50 applicants, um, and it was so hard to choose. I just wanted to say thank you to everyone applied. But we have a great representative group. Includes painters, visual artists, musicians, music producers, folks who represent dance, theater, and design. We also have several experts in the developing, rehabbing old spaces into art space and, and studios. Um, like representatives from Brick Bottom Gallery in Somerville. And an MIT startup called Spacious that it's very cool. Um, we also have a great representative from MIT, which is the country's first private percent for art program. So we have a municipal per 1% for art, but MIT has the first one ever just um, as a private 
a private entity. So the task force represents the diversity of our community, um, both socioeconomically and the diversity of arts disciplines. Um, and this is important because arts can't just be lumped into one category. Musicians, painters, and dancers, for example, all have different needs. And with making policy, I think it's important to include the groups that are affected. I think it's not just important, it's critical. Absolutely. <laughs> um, we have our first meeting is on October 11th, and we will be meeting monthly until next June to come up with a set of recommendations to support the arts in Cambridge. So we'll be focusing on goals like safe, quality, affordable working space for local artists, finding a sustainable and reliable funding stream, which that's you know, that's if that's through increased municipal investment, partnership with businesses, or development incentives, and programming for our cultural um, district here in Central Square that is diverse, accessible, and attracts both residents and tourists and promotes local artists. Uh, as Councillor Simmons said, um, who sponsored an arts working group last term, so we're kind of continuing this work. Uh, if you don't know where you're going, any train will get you there. So we need to be intentional about where we're going and all ride the same train together. Did you like that? I made that I up. I love that. <laughs> so that part about <laughs> part of where we're all riding the train together. We are. I was like, I'm taking this metaphor and I'm going for <laughs> just, it. Just run with it. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be great. I'm really excited to, to see what uh, comes from it. Uh, another thing that um, we have, Alana and I have been working on um, is uh, children's savings accounts. So that's a shift to another topic. But this week we had a big meeting uh, with a bunch of super important people. Uh, we've talked about this here or there. Uh, you know, children's savings accounts, really uh, what we both feel are, is necessary for equity in our community. So the idea would be that when, let's say you have a kindergartner, you would be opening up uh, that kindergarten would have a custodial account um, and the city would be putting in, you know, let's say 50 bucks uh, and that would then incentivize, uh, you know, really a habit of saving uh, for and college. And really giving the mindset of um, I'm going to have a post-secondary education. Yeah. Any, you know, there's, there's trade school or post-secondary education. Uh, and so we talk, there's a lot of big areas of concerns. There was, it seemed that people were supportive. I think the big issue is, you know, how, the funding mechanism, right? Yeah. Like, are, is, can this, we use municipal funds to um, start these children's savings accounts for kindergartners in Cambridge? So that's kind of, there's legal question. There's a lot of other questions that um, it's possible. Yeah, and it's not like the, we would be creating the first one ever. Right. Um, they exist not only um, here, here, um, but all over the country. So we actually spent some significant time talking with and researching a plan out in San Francisco, um, which is their kindergarten to college savings accounts. And um, it's a really great model. And I think there's going to be a lot of lessons learned for us there. But hopefully we'll have some good news to report at some point over yeah. over this term. I would have to say that um, Mayor McGovern has been very, very supportive and is very interested in, in pulling this together, too. It's something that he's wanted to do for a long time. So the three of us are um, excited to be moving that forward and continuing that conversation. I was just excited that... Um, city leadership and school leadership seemed very open to the idea. Yeah, and I think the big thing here is that we all talked about was the fact, you know, if you are uh, come from a lower income background, it, you are much less likely to go to college, right? There's You're less likely to have or a bank anything. account. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So really, this is really tied to equity. Then we, we talk about equity all the time, and um, this is actually uh, making it happen. And so uh, I, I'm looking forward. I, I think... We will be able to figure out a way. 
Yeah, I mean, I think the statistics are compelling. Right. You know, if for low-income students, if they have a college savings account, they are three times more likely to enter into a post-secondary, and they're four times more likely to graduate from a post-secondary experience. So I I think the stats are... Speak for themselves. Exactly. So this is definitely something we should be working on here in Cambridge. So um, We'll keep you updated. Yeah, totally. Um, The other thing... One of the things that did get reported on um, Monday night's meeting was the efforts of the port task force that Councillor Simmons, Mark McGovern, Mayor Mark McGovern, and I asked for in June in response to an uptick of gun violence in the port neighborhood. Specifically, there was a gunshot incident across from Clement Morgan Park on Columbia in the middle of the afternoon that left a lot of residents feeling unsafe and on edge. Um, and especially going into the summer months, which is typically when you would see um, those types of incidents rise. So. In the policy order, we asked for an aggressive strategy on addressing the gun violence um, and that a task force be formed to ensure the safety of our residents. I will have to say this report came back and I was so impressed. I was impressed impressed. with the work that they did, but just to know what went behind um, the work. So the task force was actually formed the very next day. And the report stated in the nine weeks prior to the task force that there were nine gunshot incidents. And in the 11 weeks during the task force, there were only two. So clearly, this was a very successful outcome. And the commissioner and the task force members deserve a lot of credit for putting the time, effort, and resources into this effort. Um, there was a lot of discussion on the floor when this order was put in about the word aggressive when combined with policing, based on sort of national incidents that have been happening. And people had real concerns about the city council asking for aggressive policing and what that might look like. But this report detailed that aggressive community policing in Cambridge looks like everything from setting up youth basketball leagues to visiting individuals in jail close to their release date uh, about programs and resources to reduce recidivism. Uh, These are exactly, in my mind, the kind of strategies that we had in mind when we suggested an aggressive strategy. Uh, The police department focused on assistance, not arrests. They spoke with at-risk youth before harmful behavior and connected them with city services and programs. So they issued a lot of warnings and not a lot of arrests. And even when there were arrests, uh, it only accounted for 8% of the 300 documented encounters. And officers followed up by attending court hearings to offer assistance to these folks. Uh, As I mentioned before, officers officers visited inmates prior to the release to preemptively provide support and resources. I know you never get credit for avoiding the crash that didn't happen, uh, so I just wanted to highlight the amount of work and energy that went into this and express my sincere thanks to the task force members. I think they did an amazing job. Yeah, hats off to the task uh, force members. Uh, We're really lucky to to have them. Yeah, 100%. And it's disbanded, but there's still going to be a big presence, right? There's... Some of the things that they put into place will still continue right. on, even though the task force itself disbanded. But then they, they kind of reform around specific events. So the carnival that was held a few weeks ago, the task force got back together and prepared a plan, executed the plan. And I think we saw that the results of that plan as well um, was very successful. So I think this task force, for me, is something that um, I'm excited that they are going to continue to form when when the community when, demands yeah. it and needs it and uh they're keeping us safe so thanks great, CPD. Great. yeah thank you all right so just a few events to tell you about uh, as i mentioned uh, last week we have we'll bringing rohina malik a pakistani woman who had does a one act one act show 
uh, and it's on October 12th. Uh, it's a Friday. It's at 6.30. It's free. Um, we would love for you to come. Um, it's Where is it? It's at the Sierra Fitzgerald Theater. Fitzgerald my theater. second home. I spent a lot of hours there as a theater kid. <laughs> uh, and so I, please, I'm, 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 I'm really like, I'm doing a huge outreach plan for this because I really want to fill that. Uh, that sta- it that, sounds like Stumble has hashtag goals of... Filling that theater, yeah, it has never it's happened. Big. It's huge. I mean, even if we got like the lower level, let's yeah, let's no, make let's it shoot for the stars. Yeah, all my all my listeners, all our listeners, please come. Bring up, bring bring a friend. Yeah, bring a friend. And then uh, another event is the implicit bias event uh, that is uh, happening on October seventeenth at five thirty, same place. Uh, and you know, we'll be hearing from an author uh, that speaks a lot about um, implicit bias and a particular test that you can take. I forgot to get that book out of the library. Oh, yeah. it's. I think I ordered it. Yeah. Anyway, please come to that as well. Um, You'll be hearing soon from my office and um, Mayor Mark McGovern about some more uh, community conversations about race. But this is just to give you a little taste of what's to come. Another thing that's happening is parking day on Friday. It's a huge event, event, and our city's partnering with 75 organizations, artists, businesses, and city departments to turn 150 parking spots, including um, an open street on Main Street, into vibrant community spaces for the day. And it, uh, we've been told it'll be Akbek, uh Vice <laughs> Mayor... Uh, by whom? <laughs> I don't know, by CDD. <laughs> uh, Vice Mayor Deborah will be having a full day of office hours God bless her, in a parking lot and a parking spot on Newport Road and Mass Ave near Porter Square. So stop by and say hi to her and her uh, new legislative aide, Liz Walker. Um, yeah, I saw Jen Lawrence, Jen Lawrence from CDD oh, yeah. this weekend. And I was like, hey, how's it going? She was like, I just... It's so everything's so great, but this, <laughs> I mean, I know that this is her biggest event of the year, so yeah. I was like, okay, Jen, I'll talk to you. Right, talk See to you after parking day. Yeah. Um, do you remember we were? <laughs> Remember last year when we were running, yeah. we were interviewed yep. on a, in a parking spot on, C- on CCTV. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll never forget. <laughs> Hashtag never forget. I'm on the cover of CCTV uh, annual report, FYI. Cover girl. <laughs> doing that interview. So. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> no big deal. No big deal. That's so uh, funny. The final event is Patty's 5K. The Patty's 5K is this Sunday at 10 a.m. Um, so this is a great 5K that starts and ends at Patty's Lunch on Walden Street. And all of the proceeds go to girls' sports here in Cambridge. And I can't think of a better organization to uh, be helping out than girls' sports uh, here in Cambridge. So if you want to sign up, it's not too late. It's Patty's5k.com. I will be there running, I hope. I did. I hurt my knee. Ooh, how? Just, you didn't tell me? Just life, I think. Oh, recently? Yeah. Oh. Um, so I haven't been running that much. But I am hoping to be better um, by Sunday because this is my seventh year in a row. And last year, um, I ran. Uh-huh. I heard this. And then um, Elizabeth Warren yeah. was there. Yeah, yeah. I have not done this race. Uh, I. That's actually a good race. I will have to consider it for next year. Not this not year. Not too late. Ankle. Oh, okay. Yeah, sorry. I could walk it, but... It's really fun. And then maybe, afterwards, yeah, you should I'll come help. anyway. Maybe I will. Because actually, I'm like I'm saying, I might not run. I might just Do volunteer. Do you want to just walk it? We could walk it. Okay, well, come join us, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> but then afterwards, there's like uh, a beer party. Garden. Yeah, there's yeah. a beer garden. There's hot dogs. There's always a cool band. Um, and it's just a fun neighborhood event. And it looks... The weather is always beautiful. 
That's great. So anyways, join us, patties5k.com. Okay. So the final thing is um, the train horns. So we just wanted to do a quick They're update. over. They're over. Just to let everyone know, they're, the Sherman there's a Street quiet, quiet zone. zone. So a mazel tov and, you know, just... Yom Kippur, it's Yom Kippur today. It is Yom Kippur. Oh, oh yes. yeah. Happy, Happy Yom Kippur, Kippur everybody. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we, uh, this was a long episode, but uh, we Thanks hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for hanging in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know we lost all the his- <laughs> listeners. No one's listening. No one's listening to us right now, okay? <laughs> They're like, oh, Catherine Clark's gone. Oh, forget oh. it, forget it. <laughs> you know no one's listening. Who are these ladies? <laughs> Who are these people? I know. Uh, but thanks for hanging in. We will see you next week. See you next week. Bye. Bye.